Welcome to the High Performance Mindset Podcast. This is your host, Sindra Kampoff, and thank you so much for joining me here today for episode 565. In today's episode, I interview Lindsay Hamilton. This is the second time she's been on the show. Uh, in the 200s is when she was here several years ago, and I'm really excited to talk to her again about how you can continue to train your mind for peak performance. Now, Lindsay Hamilton is the head of mental performance at IM. Academy, where she leads and develops a team of 15 mental performance coaches that oversees the mental skills development of over 1,400 high school age student athletes across eight sports. She also leads what's called the IMG Institute, where they provide high performance mindset training to executive level business professionals and corporate teams. So in this episode, we talk about both how athletes and executives can train their mind and how you can train your mind for high performance. Lindsay has a master's from the University of Utah and a doctorate from the UNC Greensboro. That's where I got my doctorate too at UNC Greensboro. So I'm excited to have a fellow colleague on. And she's a certified mental performance consultant with the Association for Applied Sports Psychology. And in this episode, Lindsay and I talk about three questions you can ask yourself when you notice yourself chasing your mind. How we can't control what we don't know three tips to communicate more effectively, and a unique way of understanding the mental game. For a full show notes and a transcription of this interview, you can head over to syndracampoff.com slash 565 for episode 565. And if you enjoyed today's show, please leave us a rating and review. You can just scroll down on this podcast wherever you're listening. For example, if you're on your iPhone, you can scroll down and you'll see a link for a rating and review. This helps us just reach more and more people each and every week, and we appreciate you. All right, without further ado, let's bring on Lindsay. Thank you so much for joining me on the High Performance Mindset Podcast. We got Lindsay Hamilton from IMG in the house. So Lindsay, I'm so excited to talk to you. I realized that I last had you on the podcast in 2019, so four years ago, and it seems like maybe it was 20. <laughs> oh my gosh, seriously. It, well, first, thank you so much for having me. I'm just delighted to be here and engaging in this conversation. And honestly, like COVID just put the time warp into everything. And I don't know if 2019 just happened, if it was 20 years ago or when it really came. So I'm glad to be here now and, and to continue our conversation. Well, I'm so impressed with the ways that you have kept evolving at IMG. And maybe just to get us started, people might not be familiar with IMG Academy. So just give us a, a sense for what you do day to day and what you're most passionate about there. Absolutely. So IMG Academy, for those who aren't familiar, is a is a sport boarding school, essentially, where kids come to um, come to our institution to go to school and, and in a boarding school environment, as well as train in one of now nine sports that we have here on campus. And we have we have as young as middle school kids and we have as old as our postgraduates. So those who are one year out of high school. And so they're coming here at a, in a high caliber environment. They're going to school. They're doing their training. They get exposure to a whole bunch of high performance disciplines like strength and conditioning and performance nutrition and uh, mental performance as one part of that. So it, as a part of our work here, we have 15 mental performance coaches that uh, serve across our almost 1500 student athletes. So our mental performance coaches work with a variety of teams 
and they get to really be with those teams for the course of their their season, which here really takes the, the better part of 10 months where they'll work with the student athletes to develop confidence, to help them build um, resilient practice, to, to foster their commitment to their goals and to the things that they're trying to strive for. And then being able to provide that sport both in education of, of these topics, as well as application of the skills into their performance environment. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I was thinking about, there's been a couple of times um, in the last maybe 10 years where I visited IMG, one was pre-COVID, and I'm just always impressed with your facilities and yeah, 15 now mental performance coaches. Um, that's just incredible that it's, you know, expanded so much. Yes, it is. And I, I definitely have to express deep appreciation for all of the mental performance coaches who were, who were here and, and started this work here and the, the the decades of work that has been done that has led us to the opportunity to have 15 mental performance coaches. And, you know, we really feel passionately about supporting and advancing the field of sports psychology as a whole. So I'm very grateful that we have positions at all levels of a, someone's practitionership. So we have assistant mental performance coaches, mental performance coaches, senior mental performance coaches, and then of course, assistant heads and head of department where I currently stand that allow people to grow into themselves here as a, as a practitioner and get exposure and support through a variety of different um, applied mental performance works. Uh, excellent. Well, so I know that you played soccer growing up and soccer in college, and I'm curious about how you came to this work and, um, you know, how you became interested in sports psychology and the mental game. Sure. You know, um, I'm, this story might be familiar to some, but the fact is, is I was a college and athlete. I was a psychology major and athlete. And inevitably you get to the end of your career and people ask you what you're going to do. I say, I don't know. Somebody suggests sports psychology. And without hesitation, I say, I'll never do sports psychology. So first <laughs> lesson of the day, never say never if you haven't heard that one before, um, because you never know really what's coming. But to me at the time, I didn't want to move in that direction. I felt in some ways that mental performance hit too close to home. Like, I don't know sure. how many mental performance coaches are out there who didn't get into this work because they didn't need right. it themselves, but that certainly right. is the case for myself ultimately. So I took, I took a lot of detours. I was in a whole bunch of um, other industries, um, including the automotive industry, just prior to going back to grad school and getting my master's degree um, and really had the intention of, of staying in the, um, the academic space and doing research. That was a part of my background that I deeply appreciated. And on the side, I happened to be a, a soccer coach as well. And then when I learned that you could do applied mental performance work and you could coach these skills for athletes, I just, my mind was blown. And so halfway through my, my program in graduate school, I decided to take on the applied work as well. And I was um, uh, fortunate enough to, to land a, a role here at the academy as a mental performance coach right out of right actually as I was finishing my graduate program and I've been here ever since so it certainly wasn't a direct path here but um, I've been very grateful for where where my feet have landed now. Yeah that's wonderful and isn't that wild how it's like you know something that you never expected you become. I, I have a similar story not in sports psychology but um my husband and I we live in Minnesota and we grew up in Iowa and um, when I was at UNC Greensboro, which I know you just graduated from there with your EDD. So congratulations. We both got our doctorate degree at the same place, but my husband and I would drive from Iowa to North Carolina every um, winter, right? We'd come home for Christmas. And one day when we were driving, we made a list of places we would never live and places we would love to live. And the places we would love to live were like, 
you know, California, Florida, Arizona, just really warm places. And number one on the top we would never live in is Minnesota. We thought it was way too cold. You know, in Iowa, when you would see the news and then, you know, it would say like, well, today it's minus 10, but it's minus 30 in Minneapolis, you know? (laughs) Anyway, uh, we've lived here for 15 years. So there's that. (laughs) So funny. That's the way life goes, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't that hilarious? Well, I know there at IMG, you work with um, sport populations and you also work with corporate um, in the corporate world. And I'm just curious because people who listen to the podcast, you know, there's a mixture of both people who are athletes and coaches and parents um, and they want to learn more about the mental game. But then there's, you know, leaders who listen and executives. And I'm curious what you have found, you know, how can executives train their mind like athletes and what what are the benefits that you see in that? Yeah, you know, I have just really valued my time working in the corporate space um, because it's a it's a totally different avenue with similar um, similar psychological challenges, right? And so, um, th- really, they gained an interest because a lot of corporate um, executives were like, "What are you doing? What can we learn from the athlete side that's going to help us yeah. in high performance?" So, yeah. what I what I find is that. Um, it's a, it's a reconnection for our executives to remember that their work is a performance too, and that they can put themselves in a position to be prepared to perform. And that is something that they feel that you can often feel stripped away from, right? It's like you just show up to work and you have to do these things and you know, you got to get through this list and you have to have those conversations and you just got to get through your day. And then we don't really one have the time, but oftentimes we don't have the strategies to help us take a step back and say, how can I do this better? How can I bring my best version of myself here? And that's one thing that I really loved about the corporate space, just reconnecting those dots for the the executives that are going through this process. Um, And then, you know, like working with a high, high performance executives is like the demands are high. The, 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 the risks and the rewards are, are their own set of challenges and opportunities as well. And so um, really providing support to executives to allow them to engage in this space is, is something that I have really appreciated. Yeah. Yeah. I agree that, you know, their work is a performance too. And, you know, maybe the performance for athletes is the sport, but um, their leadership and their career is their performance. Just like I think about as a mom, right. I can use performance psychology and sports psychology to continue to be my best as a mom, you know, absolutely. I mean, mm-hmm. if I didn't become a sports psychology consultant at some point, because I, in the future, I would be a parent. Like oh, I oftentimes am so grateful for the skills I get to use, you know, in my own living room, let alone in the yeah. locker room or the boardroom. Yeah, absolutely. So give us a sense of when you're working with the, you know, the corporate athletes will say, um, what topics do you find as most meaningful and helpful for them? And maybe just give us a little insight on um, what we can learn from some of your teachings there. Sure. So there's probably two different areas that I spend the most amount of time on. And one that probably um, seems to make the most sense to align with the, our, our, our sport athletes are things like handling pressure and focus. Mm-hmm. And their pressure is, is rampant in a lot of, a lot of corporate spaces um, and being able to focus um, under distractions and make, and really still engage critical thinking skills and effective decision-making in those environments. And so being able to work with the corporate executives to, again, provide them with some of the simple tools on like how to focus and how to identify what your distractions are and making sure that you're engaging some of the focus cues that you can use in these moments. That's probably the a very a very straight 
jump from what we do with our athletes into what we do in the corporate space. What I find myself working a lot on with in the corporate space be above and beyond that is helping them to identify how to align their mission or who they are as a leader with their actual behaviors and how mm. they work with their uh, the people, their staff or the people that they have the privilege of working with or the, even their clients, right? Because we as as business professionals, you know, we have, um, you know, we have a, an intention for how we want to come across and what we're trying to accomplish. But the people that we're working with oftentimes have their own experience of our intention. And what we find is that they can just be so far apart. That's a massive gap. And when there's a massive gap, we know that there's, that's where um, assumptions are made. That's where difficulties arise. And so helping to work with corporate clients to close that gap between what's their intention of who they want to be and how they want to show up and the behaviors that allow their staff or their clients to experience and experience them in that way. Yeah, that's great. And I'm, I know people are listening and they, they're thinking, well, I experience pressure and there are times where I um, have, I have difficulty focusing and uh, hmm, do, does my mission relate to my behaviors and does that my behavior support my mission? Um, can you give us a sense of like, let's dive into pressure just a little bit. And, you know, why do you see that athletes or corporate athletes might experience pressure? And then what do you think is um, you know, one, one way we can relieve, relieve that pressure? Yeah, it's such a great question, especially across both of those spectrums. I mean, you know, the first place that we start is that very question is like, where does pressure come from? And oftentimes pressure makes people feel really out of control. And, you know, then if we can take a step back and say, okay, well, what is contributing to this pressure? Where is it coming from? Maybe it's expectations from other people. Maybe it's expectations from a boss or from a coach or from a parent or from a, a collegiate uh, recruit. Maybe, maybe your pressure is coming from your own expectations of what you think you should be doing right now on a very specific timeline. And so you, you have a, a time constraint of pressure. You have a social pressure. You can have, um, you know, the, the pressure in just in terms of like the space that we're in, right? The physical space that we're in or the space that we're trying to move into, but helping them understand of where pressure comes from, because ultimately we can't change what we don't know. We can't navigate pressure if we don't know where it's coming from or what it's doing to us. And that second part of what is it doing to us is, is really important because ultimately the pressure is likely impacting us in two ways. It's impacting our body and how our, we're physically responding into this space. And it's an impacting our mind and how we are experiencing the, the pressure or the task. So whether it's clouding our judgment or whether it's um, is, is speeding us up, it's making us go faster or whether it's making us have some self-doubt. So really allowing the, the athlete or the client to know that that pressure shows up from these places. Okay, where's that impacting you? How is it impacting your body and your mind? And so being clear on what that is. And once you can do that, then we can jump into some possible strategies, right? So if if we're recognizing that we feel a lot of our body, a lot of our pressure in our in our body, right? We might, we might do a couple of things. First, obviously breath work. I'm sure we talk a lot about that in mental performance, making sure that we're taking a breath and, and allowing that to be slow and allowing that to be centering and knowing that you're not just taking a breath to make you feel warm and fuzzy inside. You're taking a breath because it's activating this vagus nerve. That's actually settling your central nervous system so that you can take the tension out of the experience that you're having. And, you know, also like if I will add anything, it would be sleep. So all, yeah. for all people that are burning both ends of the night, you know, we want to make sure that sleep is an important part because that's helping us build resilience ultimately too, and, and giving us the resources we need for that. 
And if we feel like our, our, we're handling our, our pressure is maybe more cognitively impacting us, right? Like we can't focus very well, or we can't, um, you know, we, we ha are having a hard time making decisions. You know, what, one of the, the realities of mental performance is that oftentimes we just need to simplify ourselves. You know, we start mm -hmm. thinking about all the things, the things that happen, things that will happen, the things that could happen, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And if we allow ourselves to simplify, so, so asking ourselves maybe one question of like, what's one thing I need to do right now? Or yeah. what's, what's the most important thing that's going to, that's going to make me have the best outcome. You know, what's one thing. And oftentimes when we can start with that one thing and bring that clarity, then it allows our mind to recenter and build. And that's where we want to get to. We want to allow our mind to build onto what it is that we want to be doing. And oftentimes simplifying with asking ourselves, some of those um, clarifying questions can really help us get there. Yeah, that's super helpful, Lindsay. I think about, you know, the people I work with who experience a lot of pressure, they tend to be focused on the outcome, sure. right? And the outcome is uncertain and they feel like judged by the outcome in some way, you know? Um, and I appreciate what you just said about the breath work, slow and centered to activate that vagus nerve and we can't change what we don't really know. So um, getting clarity on when you experience pressure. Um, I'm curious about, when I think about, you know, when you teach mindset, and I'm curious about what you hear yourself saying over and over again. So um, what do you think about that? Yeah, when I get into these conversations, it's always so interesting to me, because um, like, like I said, to your to your point about, um, you know, handling pressure and people, like I said, people just feel really out of control. Right. And so like, when we start providing some of these strategies, again, like you said, the outcome is out of our control. But yeah. that process and those little things, that breath we can take, that one clarifying question, that's something we can control. And so when I find myself talking to athletes or corporate clients, they feel out of control with their mind. They're like, I must mm -hmm. be crazy. Uh, this yeah. is my, my brain is doing this thing. Surely there's something wrong with me. And um, what I find myself uh, recognizing is helping people understand what what their mind is actually doing and why it actually is doing it. So oftentimes I use this analogy that our brain is like a puppy. And okay. people can relate to that, right? I don't know, Sandra, if you have any dogs at home or- if Oh, you have we do. He's cute. <laughs> <laughs> right? So if we can remember what life is like with a puppy, that you get this yeah. really cute little excited dog and, and you bring him into this space and you sit him down because you want everyone to look at him. And then you turn to shake someone's hand. And the next thing you know, the puppy is off. The puppy is running yeah. around the house. The puppy is exploring all the things. And you think, oh, puppy, puppy, come back, come back. And you you go and you collect your puppy and you bring him back down to, to where you are and you sit him down and you say, stay, puppy. And then you turn your body some way and he's off again. And that is the natural way of a puppy. The puppy's excited. The puppy's exploring. The puppy wants to know what's going on and it's active all over the place. And the reality is, is our mind is very much like that right? Mm -hmm. That as soon as we're like, but mind, please settle down. And then the next thing you know is, oh my gosh, I just got to make sure that I, that I get my kids to school on time. And then I got to make sure I get to that meeting. And oh my gosh, did I prepare that? And did I take my clothes to the dry cleaner? And you know, our athletes on the other hand are, you know, going through the same thing, but asking themselves different questions. So our mind is doing that not because it's bad, not because it's mentally weak. It's because it's our mind and that's how the mind right. functions. So yeah. then when, when I think about mental training and how mm -hmm. mental training is then incorporated into this puppy mind we have, what happens is then that puppy mind wanders away, 
you know, we go and we, we, we don't berate it for running off. We gently invite it back to where we are. Right. And we say, oh, this is your home. Like, can stay here for a moment. And inevitably that mind's going to wander. And if we know that that puppy is going to leave, then we can gently bring it back. And the reality is, is that more that we bring it back, the more that we invite it back to this space, then the easier it comes when it's called and the longer it stays. And yet we know because the way our mind works, it's gonna leave again. And that's okay, we'll just go and bring it back. And then we can talk about different strategies that we can use to bring our puppy mind back. But that's something that I find myself saying over and over to our athletes and to our corporate performers is helping them understand the nature of their mind. And so that they don't have to, they can give themselves grades. They don't have to judge themselves for their mind doing these things. We can bring it back and then we can work on strategies that's gonna invite our puppy back faster. Yeah, I love that analogy. And I think about when we had our puppy at the beginning, right? This was about five years ago. It was really hard to control that puppy. (laughs) And sometimes now it's like uh, uh, he barks when you don't expect it. And, you know, uh, (laughs) um, but I like the idea of like controlling your mind and training your mind like a puppy. Right. And the more that you train it, the easier it becomes at that. And I I think I heard you say earlier this idea of like chasing your mind. Tell us about that and how you think that we can really work to train this mind that we have that's like a puppy mind. Yeah, I mean, I think when our mind starts doing these things, our initial our gut reaction is to chase it, right? Like, of course, like your dog is going to run off and then you start chasing it because you think you need Uh to get it back, which is important because you do. (laughs) Um, And also then we get stuck in this race, right? And we're like chasing this puppy. We're chasing our mind down. We're like, no, you can't be going all over the place. Or you start to feel bad that you're, you're, you're spiraling, right? It's like the thought train, the thought train is taking you someplace that you don't want to be. And so, you know, one of the things that I'll do is I'll, I'll identify like three things that can help you when you want to bring your mind back, right? When your mind is, when your puppy mind has run off and you're chasing it, what are three things we can do to get it back to where we are? Um, and the first, the first thing that I often offer to, um, my athletes or to my, my clients in some way are, are asking yourself, is this thought helpful? Hmm. Because it's usually the thought that takes, that starts the chase, right? Mm-hmm. It's the thoughts that spiral, the thought, the thought that's going to take us somewhere. And then we have all kinds of feelings that come with the thought. We think that we feel, might feel bad about ourselves. We might feel disappointed that something's happened. We might question what we're doing, all of the kind of things where we can move in this, in this massive spiral of, of the, the wherever the dog is taking us. Um, but we, if we ask ourselves, is this thought helpful? then it allows us to pause and answer that question. Because what we find is that if the thought is helpful, then you're on the right track, right? Now, sometimes you'll notice that I'm not saying is the thought positive or negative, because sometimes we can have a negative thought that actually puts us on the right track, right? Mm -hmm. We might have a thought that's like, this isn't good enough. And then that spurs us to think differently, right? So if the thought is helpful, then great. Let's continue to explore where we are here. If we can identify that the thought is not helpful, then it often unhooks us from continuing to chase it. And either we're going to let that thought go and we're going to allow it to dissipate into the wander of the field, wherever it's running, or we're going to say, this isn't helpful. Let me bring myself back. But until we can identify that it's not helpful to us, we have a really hard time because oftentimes the questions we want to ask ourselves are, is this thought true? And you know what? Sometimes we have very true thoughts that aren't very helpful. <laughs> you right. know, sometimes, sometimes that's that's not exactly where we want it to be either. So I'm not asking that if is this is this positive or negative. I'm not asking if this thought is true. I'm just asking if it's helpful. And that's where we can start and to help us when we have this chasing mind. 
Um, the next piece that I'll ask after we can identify if the, if the thought is helpful or not, and we, we've unhooked ourselves from this thought train that we are, is asking ourselves, what can I do right now to be successful? Mm -hmm. Like, what's something I can do right now? So in, in the sports space, you know, obviously if you just got a, the, the ball stripped off you and that's running, you know, they're running back the other way on the field. And generally speaking, the most helpful thing I can do is get back on defense. Um, but when we're chasing our thought of, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just got beat. Oh my gosh, I can't believe that just happened. The coach is going to take me out. Like when you start thinking all those things, you can't think about what you need to do. All you right. can think about is that. But if we can ask ourselves, well, what do I need to do right now? That's going to help me be successful. We can answer that question. Oftentimes in mental performance, I find that we don't have to have the immediate answer, but if we ask ourselves the right question, we're going to put mm -hmm. ourselves in the direction of getting to what we need to get to. So, mm -hmm. so first asking, is this thought helpful? Second asking, what can I do right now to be successful? And then thirdly offering ourselves, what's one word that I can use that is going to describe how I want to be when my thought, when I'm chasing my thought. Or how do I want to be when I, when I'm, when I am recollected, when my, when my puppy mind is sitting right here with me, what does that look like? What does that feel like? And can I put that into one word? So I might want to be strong. I might want to be focused. I might want to be calm. I might want to be creative, whatever that might be. Um, you know, in the, in the sports space, you might want to be fast or you might want to be um, helpful, whatever it could be. But when we, again, if we circle back to what we talked about before of just simplifying our mind right? If we can get that into one word, that's going to drive how we want to show up in the space when we are operating on all cylinders, that's going to allow us to, again, anchor back into that space. And when we connect that to this kind of puppy mind analogy, when you have that one word that can call the mind back, right? Like usually for a puppy, it's, it's the dog or it's the dog's name or it's their, it's come, or it's one command that is simple. Mm -hmm. That dog understands it and they know right where they need to be. And so putting one word around, you know, what you want to show up when you are your best self or what you want to show up when your mind is, is doing what you want it to be and, and allowing that word to, to really serve as the representation of, of who you are and how you perform is one simple way that we can simplify and unhook from that, that chase that ultimately we're trying to avoid. So again, again, is this thought helpful? What do I need to do right now to be successful? And what's one word I can use to describe how I want my mind to be? Those are three things that you can do when you find yourself chasing so that you can call that puppy mind back as quickly as you can. Yeah, super helpful. So is this thought helpful? Um, and so that helps us unhook. What can I do right now to be successful? And what's one word that I could use to kind of recollect myself so that I'm not chasing my mind? Um, can you give us an example of maybe how you use, you have used these three questions um, or maybe one of your clients? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm happy to do both. I'm, most recently, I was working with a track and field athlete, and um, and she really took to the analogy in particular. But um, you know, and and it allowed her to kind of step outside from thinking like she was her mind, right? And so we feel really connected that every thought we have is true, that every thought we have is real, and it means something about us. And so it allowed her to step and be like, oh, that's my mind doing that. Okay, now I can use these skills to work on that. Um, and so, you know, she used the helpful, unhelpful um, question a lot. And that really, again, was another aid to allow her to unhook from that. And, you know, when she she ran 800 meters. And so like it, her asking that question when she started to get into like a lactic acid phase of, of her sprinting or that inevitably that third quarter 
horror of the of the run, which is the hardest of all of the of all of the phases. Um, you know, it allowed her to clearly identify what do I need to do right now? What's the most important thing out of the gate? What's the most important thing when I take my first turn? Um, and and allowed her to process through that um, regularly. And then you know her her one word um, was was like kick and explode. And that was the one thing cool. that she felt like when she was at her best, it was yeah. she was able to do that effectively. And she was able to then massage how she kicked at any various run of, like phase of her run, which then you know became very helpful for her throughout the course of the 800 meters. Um, but that's one, one way that she was able to use that with her athletes. I think the way that I, I ask myself the question all the time, is this helpful? Um, right. you know, and it, it's wild to think that even as a practitioner asking ourselves these questions and we do this work every day and yet our mind is made up of the same as all of our clients, right? It's natural. Yes, our mind can be puppies. <laughs> right? We're all puppies and I love puppies. Um, but our mind is doing the same thing. And so even as a practitioner, acknowledging that that's the way of the mind, that doesn't mean I'm mentally weak and here are the strategies yeah. that I can use. So I ask myself all the time, is this not helpful? Um, and you know, especially when I might feel overwhelmed with something that's going on or at the end of the day, when my kids are really active and explosive and, you know, they are doing their thing and I might be just trying to keep up with it, but okay, what's the one thing right now I can, I can do to be successful. Um, and then I always have a word. I think the, I think the word is such a powerful, um, tool that we simplify with. In fact, what I tell my corporate clients is that once they identify what their word is, is to use that word, if you're able in your, um, whatever your corporate space is, like, I know we have to log on to our computers. And so we have to have a password to get into our computer. And my password is always something around my word because then every day cool. that I down, it's my word. And I'm recentering on what's important to me and who do I want to be and how do I want to show up in this one way. And just the, the re repetition that we have in, in calling that word into our life, um, you know, is something that I find to be really valuable. Yeah, I love that last question. Like, what's one word that I, you know, want to be right now? And because it's more about like your identity, right? And yeah. we can come back to like our values and who we're about. I think it helps center ourselves. Um, and and both these, you know, the, the second and third, your answer to those second and third questions are very simple. And that's also what I appreciate is that, you know, we can, sometimes we complicate what we should be doing instead of just like redirecting it to like, what's one thing I can do or what's, you know, who do I want to show up as right now? And uh, those are, those are great questions. Yeah. Thank you. I think the, I think there's, there's both parts of it, right? There's like, what's the performance tool that we can use in the moment that's going to help us recenter and realign ourselves, especially when it becomes values-based. And there's, there's some also exploratory, exploratory work that needs to be done too. Like you don't just pick a word that is one of your values without exploring what your values are and how do they show up in right. the space and what value is, is, is going to lead you into who we want to be in this moment or right now. And so, you know, or even if I think about like, what's one thing we need to do to be successful. Like we have to understand our triggers. We have to understand, you know, what are the, what are the distractions we might be facing that, that, that I need to be brought back from. And so it's not just, it, it's both and, right. It's really understanding yes. a little bit of these, asking us these questions, but really having a simple tool that allows our mind to be like, Oh yeah, because most often those tools, the one simple word, as much as we deal with our spit, our head up in 
up in our head, you know, our mindset, like all of these things ultimately will lead you to action. And that's the thing that's going to help us get out from under the chase of our wandering mind. That's the thing that's going to drive us to be the most confident version of ourselves or to be the highest performer. It's ultimately what we do. And so going through this process of exploring those, identifying one word that drives us to the action is really where the magic happens. Hi, this is Cindra Kampoff, and thanks for listening to the High Performance Mindset. Did you know that the ideas we share in the show are things we actually specialize in implementing? If you want to become mentally stronger, lead your team more effectively, and get to your goals quicker, visit freementalbreakthroughcall.com to sign up for your free mental breakthrough call with one of our certified coaches. Again, that's freementalbreakthroughcall.com to sign up for your free call. Talk to you soon. Um, these three questions are great. I think they represent like a unique way that you teach the mental game. Uh, is there another strategy or a topic that you can share with us about, you know, that that's a, a unique way that you teach mindset or the mental game? Oh, sure. Um, you know, a lot of times what I find myself talking about is, um, it's, it's kind of twofold. It's actually helping coaches or people who oversee other people and help them manage potentially difficult conversations. So whether you're, and even as a parent, you can ask yourself these things too. Um, and as a practitioner, as another applied sport psychology practitioner, being able to have um, an, an armor of questions to ask yourself to identify, how am I going to um, engage this person? What needs to be communicated? Things like that. So the three, the three questions that I offer when it comes to identifying um, an opportunity for communication is, um, the first one is, does this need to be said? Okay. And oftentimes when we are a coach that we've seen our, our athlete perform a certain way, or we are a parent and our kid is doing whatever they might be doing, um, or even sometimes just as a teammate, a staff member, you know, like as a colleague in the workspace, like, does, does something need to be said? Does something need to be addressed here? And that's going to be like the impetus of our communication, right? Like something needs to be communicated. And if you can identify that, yes, it does. Great. Because sometimes it doesn't. Like, if you think about yeah. like how many times, like our athletes already know they messed up. <laughs> so do we need to address, do we need to, uh, um, you know, remind them that they did that or something like that? So asking, does this need to be said? The follow-up from that, if it's the case that yes, something needs to be addressed is asking yourself, does this need to be said by me? Because mm. there are so many people in our, in our support circle and in our professional sphere, in our team that really can potentially land the message better than we can. And just because we might know that something needs to be addressed and we have the, um, the repertoire to be able to address it, what matters most is how it's received. And oftentimes who it's received from is going to be a big factor in that. And so as a coach, sometimes, even as a mental performance coach, like I can remember seeing an athlete going through this circumstance at the end of the game, they were really disappointed. Something, you know, I think that, you know, they had a, a, an unfortunate moment of, of, of suboptimal performance at the end of the game that cost the game. And I'm thinking this oh. needs to be addressed. Right. And my, sure. you know, then I asked myself, okay, as I'm, I'm gearing up, I've decided this has, I have to go make sure that I say something to the, to this young, this young person walking across the field. And as I'm walking toward her, like a teammate comes over and wraps her arm around. And then they kind of start going in a different direction and they're talking and I'm like, that's even better. Right. Because like, that's yeah. what she needed. She didn't need me talking to her as a coach. What she needed was a teammate helping her knowing that she's, you know, all of these things. And so, um, you know, whether as parents or as professionals asking ourselves, like, does this need to be said, but does this need to be said by me? And is there somebody better suited to have this conversation? 
And then should it be the case? Yes, it needs to be said. Yes, it needs to be said by you. The next, the, the real, the real follow on from that is, does this need to be said by me right now? And timing mm -hmm. is everything. Timing is everything. And, and so when it comes to reception of, of communication, you know, whether that's at the end of a game, does a parent need to be having this conversation right now? Um, you know, or when something just happens and a presentation was just botched and you're overseeing the staff member that did it, does it need to be addressed right then and there when they probably have an emotional upheaval? It's why it's why coaches have a 24 hour rule for parents to talk to them because, and if you don't, maybe you can consider that. But <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's why, it's why that happens because timing really matters in receptivity. And ultimately the, the real opportunity for communication is creating connection and creating behavior change. And if we're not creating connection or behavior change through our communication, what are we doing? And so timing who says it and whether or not it actually even needs to be addressed. All of those things are things that, um, I often, um, offer as questions that we can ask ourselves before we determine, um, you know, launching headfirst into a communicative opportunity. Uh, such a great questions and so helpful. And I was, as I was listening, I was thinking about myself as a parent and how I could use these three questions, I think as a leader, um, yes. you know, when you're, you're supervising people or, you know, wanting to give feedback. Um, and I like the question of, you know, so the three questions, does this need to be said? Does this need to be said by me? And does it need to be said by me right now? Um, how have you used these questions personally? So I think one of the, um, I mean, I have definitely used them in my family life. I use them in my work life. Um, you know, I can, I can explicitly remember one time I was, um, at, you know, I was overseeing some of my staff as a leader and had just, had just witnessed a performance that I think that all of us would venture to say wasn't exactly what we would have wanted it to be. And in true form, one, one of the things that I really appreciate about the ethos of my team is everybody really wants to get better. And feedback is a very constant part of that work here. And I'm very lucky to be a part of a team that, um, that that fosters that and, and asks for that. And we're walking away from the presentation and the person asks, you know, well, do you have any feedback on the session? And I had to go through, I mean, obviously something needed to be said and, and I was the person to be saying that, but I knew that I wasn't the one to be communicating that right now, not because we were in a public space, not because potentially, you know, the, they would benefit through their own reflection of the process, but because I was livid. I was sure. very disappointed and yeah. I certainly wouldn't be able to communicate effectively in that environment. And so oftentimes when we ask ourselves, does this need to be communicated um, by me right now? That question is time bound, but that question is also yeah. taking real inventory of yourself and the other person and using your emotional intelligence to cue whether or not right now is the time to have that conversation. So that's one example that um, comes to mind at the top of my head. Yeah, that's a great example because I think that question, you know, right now by me is helpful because are you in this space to really like give that feedback? And so what did you do? What did you, just as I'm thinking this really helps other people as they're listening. What did you say? You know, did you meet with them the next day? Like give us a sense of how sure. you handled that from there. Absolutely. So the, they asked and I said, oh my gosh, thank you so much for asking for feedback. I would love the opportunity for us to discuss, you know, the, the session. Um, I think, you know, I would, why don't you go ahead and take some time to reflect on it and I'll do the same. And that way we can come together and have a collaborative conversation. And in that way, my intention was to say, this is what we support. We, we support asking for feedback. We want that. I want to continue that as a culture. I surely don't want to say, mm, not really the time because you're not going to like it. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> because, you know, then, then they're going to be in trepidation all the way up until we schedule this exactly. meeting. Exactly. Right? And they're so, going to keep ruminating on that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so in that instance, I was hoping to, you know, support the fact that feedback was requested, demonstrate that I wanted to be able to do that, and then offered an alternative time in which we can do that. But then tried to also position it in a, why don't you do this and I'll do this. And then we can come together and collaborate. And I think oftentimes that gets missed in feedback, right? Is that we think that yeah. feedback is one directional. Um, but if we're not asking questions in our feedback and we're making assumptions about how things happened or why things went, we're really not doing justice to the people that, to the thought process that people had. And if they didn't have a thought process, great opportunity to identify that and, and circle back to it. But that was, that was my response is just being really receptive. Oh my gosh, I would love to do that. You know, um, why don't we, why don't we carve some time out? Because this is really important to us. You do this, I'll do this and we'll come back and collaborate together. And truth be told, you know, I took 48 hours. I wasn't even ready the next day. And, um, um, you know, I definitely followed up by putting a meeting on the calendar so that we could have that time. But I had to really be clear on letting my emotions go through what they were going through and then be um, very, very direct with myself about what 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 is important that we get out of this meeting now. It's not just for me to tell them that they didn't do a good job. It's for me to reset the expectation call ourselves to the standard, identify strategies that we can use, make sure that I'm putting myself in a position where I'm asking them what support can they have? How can I help them reach what the standard is and, and really orchestrating the conversation from there? Yeah, I love it. And I think in those situations, we also know really how it went, right? So sometimes I even might ask the person, how do you, how did you think it went right before yeah. I kind of yep. dive in with the feedback? One of the things, Lindsay, I want to make sure we cover um, is your dissertation. So you just finished in May, your EDD. So congratulations. Um, just incredible to be able to call you doctor. I should have called you that from the beginning. <laughs> And so I, tell us a little bit about your dissertation and what are some, you know, top takeaways. I know you did some work on mental skills and um, kind of in this live performance space. So what did you learn that um, you could share with us that could help our lives, you know, improve our lives? Oh, awesome. I'm so grateful. Thank you so much for the the celebration. And also, I'm obviously delighted to talk about the, the lessons that I have learned. Ultimately, what I was really interested in is transfer of skill. And so it's one thing for us to talk about skills in the in the classroom or in a workshop or in a conversation, which is really important. It's another thing for us to be able to like go into the environment and be under that pressure and use this strategy when everything in our mind and body is saying, no, I don't want to, I'm upset. And so I yeah. wanted to really explore how can we close the gap in that transfer and get us to being able to utilize the skills in the performance environment. And so what I did was um, I really started exploring how can we make the training environment of mental skills more representative to the psychological demands that we see in our performance environment. And so okay. surely you can't bring in all of the, um, all of the pressure of a game like you can in, into practice. Surely you can't bring all the pressure of giving a of giving a presentation at work like you can when you just put yourself in the boardroom. But how can we close that gap? And so ultimately, um, what I found is that we did have great transfer of um, usage of the performance skills in the in the space, and also ultimately the outcomes. Like not only were we able to 
um, we were able to move the needle that needle that they did become more focused and that they did um, become more relaxed as a as in in like tense environments as a result of this. And when we solicited feedback on on maybe what contributed to that, a variety of the qualitative feedback that received was, I could do this with the ball in my hands, and wow, it was really great to use these skills actually on the court. So I basically designed an intervention where everything was all on the court. I didn't have any classroom sessions, and then um, was able to teach through actually having the ball in their hand, putting them in environments of, of pressure and, um, you know, distraction and different things like that on the court. Cause it was basketball at the time. Um, so that we could, we could really leverage some of those performance performance arena for us to be able to use the skills. And I would say that really can transfer in so many of our performance environments, right? So when you're preparing for a presentation, putting yourself in the room that you're going to be doing that. And if you can't, then creating some imagery around being in that space, right? Putting yourself up against a mirror. It's one thing to recite your presentation, if that's some, a way that you choose to prepare. Um, it's another thing to look at yourself in the mirror while you do it. It's another thing to do that to a family member and do that. It's another thing to invite close colleagues to practice. And, you know, there's a lot of different opportunities and environments that we can constrain to manipulate the, the demands that we might experience so that we can actually put ourselves in those environments, use those strategies that we want to use, and ultimately get us closer to a more successful performance. Excellent. Are there any things that we can do as a result of your dissertation? So like, I, I like what you're saying about putting yourself in that situation. You know, I'm thinking about, um, I do a lot of speaking. And if I get there the night before, I can go walk into the space and just kind of get a sense for it, imagine myself on stage, right? Um, uh, any other you know, takeaways that we can actually implement uh, into our lives that you learned? Yeah, you know, there's some things that we can consider is, um, you know, if you think about what throws you off in a presentation, and potentially considering those or putting inviting other people to to set you off, you know, one of the things that I that I can remember back is when Michael Phelps was training for, you know, all the golds that he goes yeah. through, and his coach yeah. stepping on his oh. goggles before a race, and him having to race and under those conditions. And so, you know, identifying what are the conditions that I tend to come up against that create tension for my performance and seeing and inviting those into our space. And, you know, my, my hope would be that as, as we are performers in all of our spaces that we can, um, you know, invite other people to support us in, in creating some of these environments or challenging ourselves in some of these environments. But, but surely, uh, uh, Sandra, I think being in the performance space is massive. And how many times do we go up into a space and, you know, we get there 20 minutes early to plug in our computer and we're like, oh, wait, this is how big the room is. <laughs> oh, right. wait, like people are going to be sitting in rounds and not auditorium. And then that's going to yeah. impact where I can walk and how I normally do the, this work. And whether you are a presenter or your performance environment is something completely different. And, you know, envisioning, you know, if you tend to be in maybe small group conversation, like, if somebody asks you a stray question right off the bat, how in this moment of my presentation, how am I going to circle back to it? How am I going to come back and reel that back in and, and really like bringing some of those constraints into our training that allow us to be prepared for performance? Yeah, super helpful. And I love that example of Michael Phelps and his coach, like, you know, um, breaking his goggles so that he could perform regardless of yes. things not being perfect. And I think yes. that's exactly what that allowed him to do is like, all right. Um, be resilient and whatever happens, I can yeah. handle it because I can swim without goggles or goggles that are broken. Exactly. And the alternative, you know, if we go in the other direction, then we can see the negative performance 
that like um, habits that come from that. As an example, I worked with an incredible young woman um, who was a, um, a strings instrument and she was trying, she was auditioning for the, a, a massive part in this huge um, orchestra that she wanted to be a part of. And she would, she would prepare meticulously and she would practice all the time. And um, then she went into her audition and unfortunately tanked it. She got mm -hmm. so nervous that she sure. had to ask them to start over. And she asked them to start over four times in the edition and when we were and she didn't make it and then when we were um we were reflecting on that situation what we found was that when she practiced every time she messed up she'd start over start over so yeah. she didn't know how to work through the missed note and so mm. ultimately to your point is in our mental world mm. we are in in our lived world we don't get a chance to start over and so the real the real opportunity is how can we use some of these questions how can we how can we prepare ourselves to continue in the face of difficulty, right? Mental performance doesn't keep us from difficulty, but it arms us with tools and, and encouragement to continue forward when difficulty arises and when maybe the performance isn't what we want so that we can continue. Thankfully, the that story of my strings instrument player does, does come full circle because they ended up uh, inviting her to a second audition because she thought that they thought that she really had something and it was really just a poor nervous audition and they invited her back and she ended up getting the cool. seat that she wanted to. So, uh, you know, not all stories end that way. Thankfully for right. her, this one did, but it is a wonderful reminder of us to evaluate, well, how are we preparing? And is it, is it really what's going to happen when I get to my stage, whatever that stage might be? Excellent. Super helpful. I love what you said about mental performance doesn't stop us from having a difficulty. It's more about like helping us handle it a, a better. So um, excellent. Well, Lindsay, I'm so grateful that you're on the podcast here today. I'm going to do my best to summarize today. Oh. <laughs> we talked about pressure and focus at the beginning. And I like what you said about we can't change what we don't know about ourselves. And so you're really talking about simplifying um, ourselves taking some breaths um, to slow down and impact that that vagus nerve, like you mentioned. Uh, you talked about the, our puppy mind, right? And we can ask ourselves three questions. Is this helpful um, to help us unhook? And um, what can I do right now to be successful was the second one. And number three is like, what's one word that I can use to guide me right now? And then your three questions of communication, does this need to be said? Doesn't this need to be said by me? And does this need to be said by me right now? Um, thank you so much for joining us here today. How, how can people reach out to you or learn more about your work if they'd like to follow up? Oh, sure. Um, email is probably the best option, lindsay.hamilton at img.com. I am available by email. Um, I am, I technically have my social media accounts, which is at lindsay08h. I will say I'm on a current social media hiatus, so I'm not, I'm not uh, active there. So I apologize for everybody who might be messaging me, but I will come back in some point. Um, but the, the email is a great place to start and I would welcome any conversation um, to continue and, and, and support this work and support others in their own. Awesome. Thank you so much, Lindsay. Do you have any final thoughts or comments to share with us? No, I just so appreciate you having me on here. And hopefully there was, um, you know, this can just, again, when we, when we ask ourselves the right questions, we can oftentimes lead ourselves to answers that get us to the actions we need. So it has been just such a delight for you um, to, to have this conversation with you and to be here. And uh, hopefully maybe we'll do it again in four more years. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, congratulations again, Dr. Lindsay. <laughs> Thank you.
Way to go for finishing another episode of the High Performance Mindset. I'm giving you a virtual fist pump. Holy cow, did that go by way too fast for anyone else? If you want more, remember to subscribe and you can head over to Dr. Sindra for show notes and to join my exclusive community for high performers where you get access to videos about mindset each week. So again, you can head over to Dr. Sindra. That's D-R-C-I-N-D-R-A dot com. See you next week.